Again, good to see everyone this morning. Thank you all for being here. It is truly a pleasure and an honor to be able to come together on this first day of the week and to join our voices together in song and to join our voices together in prayer, to gather around the table, all those things that we are shown how to do in God's Word. Thank you again for being here. I want to talk this morning about the idea of not living in fear. As you would well imagine uh, where this lesson comes from, we have so much going on in our country right now and in the world that can cause us to fear. We have um, people uh, that are exploiting our fear. We have situations that make us fearful. Rightly so. We have things that are going on that make us fear for our lives and fear for our children and our way of life and, and those fears are at the surface in our life. But I, this morning I, I really want us to focus in on the idea that we should refuse to live in fear. Travis read for us there from Hebrews 10. And that verse 39 says, We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So I want to focus in on that one verse this morning and, and look at a couple of parts of that verse. And bear in mind as we go through that Scripture is, is rife with the idea that we have a soul, an eternal soul, that inhabits a living, physical, mortal body. So we're going to look at how those two things interact with each other and see how we can understand that we need to be paying attention to the part of ourselves that lives on for eternity, and that is our soul. And that's where our emphasis should be. So let's start with the first part of that verse there. It says that we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to share a few passages here that help us to understand that um, we ought not be surprised that bad things will happen to us while we're in this world. We ought not to be surprised that certain things will come along that's going to test our faith. And certain things are going to come along that will put our physical body in jeopardy. So here in 1 Peter 4, in verse 12, beginning, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. So right there we can understand that Peter is saying, don't be surprised. Don't let it catch you off guard. That there are things that are going to come along that are going to test you. Verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation, or the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ... You are blessed, because the Spirit of God 
and of God rest upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if any one of you suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. So if you're a murderer, a reviler, a swindler, you need to watch out. You need to count the suffering that you're undergoing as suffering. What Peter says here is if you suffer as a Christian, then you're okay. If you're suffering and you're being true to God, if you're living your life according to the way that God would have you to live and can wear that name Christian, don't worry about your suffering. Don't be surprised about your, at your suffering. Don't let it catch you off guard. Let's look at a couple more examples. I hope that we'll clarify this and bring this into focus. Look in 1 Timothy 4. Again, warn of times, uh, of troubling times. Being warned of it. 1 Timothy 4, beginning verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to the deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of the liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in those who believe and those who know the truth. In giving instructions to the young preacher Timothy, Paul says, this is going to happen. The Spirit says so. Times are going to come. They're not going to listen to what you have to say. And that's what he's going to go on and tell him the rest of here, chapter 4. Don't be surprised about this. This is going to happen. Men are going to come along. Things are going to happen. And they're going to beset you. You're going to have struggles in this life. Look over a couple pages in 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Again, the language here. Times are going to be tough sometimes. Verse 1 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy. Realize this, in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Now in the context here, of course, we're talking about men being cruel and doing other things to other men. But the sentiment is there, and that difficult times will come at the hands of men, at the hands of other things. Verse 6, for among these are those who have denied um, the form of godliness. Uh, I beg your pardon. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sin, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's being exploitative. That's exploiting someone's fear and, and using that to someone's own benefit. It's been around a long time. And continues to be a problem. Let's look now in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And see what our Lord has to say about this idea. That what it costs to be uh, a disciple. Luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 57. 
As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, I love the, we talked about in our Bible class this morning, how Jesus answers people and how Jesus converses with people. Um, sometimes it's two different planes at the same time. Jesus is, take, is going to take the opportunity here to, to talk about what is important and contrast that with what's less important. So, Someone said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, isn't that an interesting way to address what has just been said? I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, I don't have a place to lay my head. Do you really want to follow me? Do you really want to be in that situation? Verse 59, and he said to another, follow me. But he said, Permit me first to bury my father. And he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Let's understand something about our Lord. He is not so callous and uncaring as to, as to not recognize um, mourning in someone. We see those characteristics in our Lord. We see it when, when Lazarus died. He was moved to emotion. He was moved about the people about him that were, that were mourning the death of Lazarus. He, he was uh, aware of people around him being hungry. That's why he fed them. Jesus is not so callous as to just say, don't worry about it. You've got to leave your, your dead loved ones behind. What he's pointing out here is the contrast. Permit the bed to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the, everywhere the kingdom of God. Jesus is placing the emphasis on the kingdom of God. What is it that we are to be focused on in our lives is the kingdom of God, our spiritual service. We, don't, we have other passages and other things about taking care of each other and providing for each other and doing those things in a loving manner for each other. Jesus is not dismissing all those. He's ranking the things that we need to be doing. And our service in the kingdom comes first. Verse 61, and another said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me per, uh, per, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Do, do we hear in that the, the wrong order of priorities in someone's life? I'll follow you, Lord, but let me, let me go say goodbye to my loved ones. And I love his response to that. Verse 62, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is worthy of the kingdom of God. I've come to this verse a lot in my teaching and preaching. And the idea about putting your hand to the plow, and if any of you have ever plowed behind an animal, I haven't. But I was close. I was right on the edge of, of, of being there, but my family did have a tractor, so we were okay in the, what little farming we did. But in that, um, when you put your hand to the plow and expect that animal to go, you can't be looking around and enjoy, enjoying the scenery, for one. And you can't be looking back and see where you have plowed. You've got to be looking ahead at where you're going. So Jesus uses that illustration here. And saying, once you put your hand to the plow, once you commit yourself to the kingdom of God, you need to be looking ahead. Not looking behind 
Not worrying about what's behind you, not looking around, enjoying the scenery, but looking ahead at where you're going. This is one of those rubber meets the road kind of passages for me at least. We talk a big game sometimes about our faith and, and the things that we will do and, and what it means to be a child of God and I'll sacrifice this. But when it comes down to it, are we really ready to do that? I'll follow you, Lord, but I've got to go back home and say goodbye to my loved ones. You're not right in your priorities. Again, it's not dismissing treating family and friends and everything in the appropriate manner. Jesus here is talking about the priorities and where your priorities lie. The next part of the verse back there in Hebrews 10 says, We're not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith. Let's go back to that passage there in Hebrews 10 and get a little bit more context. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 32. The Hebrew writer says, But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by me made a public spectacle and through the reproaches of tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers of those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which you have of great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay. My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You see the context. They, they've suffered. And, and the Hebrew writer is commending them for persevering. And doing the things that they should do, treating their brethren the right way, see, under the seizure of their property, all these things. But he says there at the end of verse 34, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. We have things in this earth and things in this world that will come and go. What abides in us is the kingdom. What abides forever is the kingdom. He says there, verse 36, you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. If you look over in chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, after, so after chapter um, 10 there, going through chapter 11, speaks of all the people, uh, or not all the people, a lot of people who have shown great faith. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, therefore, since we have so uh, great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's that word again, endurance. You know, it's, it's one thing for us to have faith. It's one thing for us to have an enduring faith. It's one thing for us to run with endurance. You know, the marathon runner runs with endurance. He runs for a long time. That's what's being expressed in this. We have need for endurance. We have to keep our faith going. Our faith can't waver when things come along that, that, that would beset us and hurt us and put us down. Look over in chapter 13 of Hebrews. Now in closing out the letter here, there's several things that kind of come in succession. 
it's almost kind of proverbial in its language, but if you see there in verse 5, it says, Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor, nor ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper, my, my, help, my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? So in our faith, are we <laughs> remembering that man can't do anything to us? The Lord is my helper. What's man going to do to me? And then he reminds them to remember the faith of the people who spoke the word of God to you. There's a handing down of, of the word of God, isn't there? That's how the word of God goes forth. So the, the Hebrew writer is reminding the audience here, um, consider the result of, of, of their conta, conduct, imitate their faith. The, the result of their conduct is that they spoke the word of God to you. And you have believed because of it. So now you imitate their faith and keep that going. Because that's the endurance part of this that we're talking about. It needs to keep going. It has to continue on. Go back to 2 Timothy. We'll look at another part of this. 2 Timothy 3. So after Paul says that there's going to be difficult times that come and these things that will happen, he reminds them, uh, he reminds Timothy that, they need to, that he needs to continue on in the faith. Verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3 says, You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of knowing what you have learned from them and that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Earlier on in the, in the book here, Paul talks about his grandmother, uh, and mother, Eunice and Lois, talks about how they taught him the scriptures, the word of God. And so Paul is reminding him, you remember those things that you have been taught from your childhood and, and, and hold on to that. Continue in these things that you have learned. Become convinced of them. And then that leads into what he says there in 16, chapter uh, 3 verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfect, well suited for every good work. In that context there, it helps us to understand that the word of God is complete and is perfect for teaching us all about what we're talking about, about faith, about endurance, about not being fearful of the things that are in this world. It's right here. We're not left to wonder. We're not left to guess. God's given it to us. So the last part of the verse that was from our scripture reading. We're not those who shrink back to destruction, but are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Ecclesiastes 11 and uh, verse 3. Uh, the the Solomon there, he says that God has set eternity in man's heart. And the idea there that he's given us the understanding that of eternity. He's given us a glimpse into eternity. Now we can't find those things out, 
because we're trapped in the mortal body. But we know we have an inkling of what eternity is. In chapter 12 and verse 7 of Ecclesiastes, he says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So the idea is the body is mortal and finite. The soul is not. The soul lives on. The soul goes back to God who gave it. And so when we talk about the preserving of the soul, we have to understand that the soul that we have will last for eternity. And so we need to take special care with it. We need to rank uh, our preserving when it comes to the, the, the spiritual soul or the physical body. We need to be focused on our soul because our physical body is passing away. Look over in Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 28. It says, Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Here's still in that idea of discipleship leaving the things behind and following after Jesus. Another conversation in that vein. Verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he should receive a hundred times as much now in the present age Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. And look what's said next. Along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus right here tells us that if we leave behind those things that we are sometimes so desperately holding on to. And look what's in the list. Father and children and farms. Brothers, sisters, mother, father, those things which we hold dear in this world. Jesus says, if you left those behind, you'll be rewarded a hundred times over. But there's the caveat in that. You get those things a hundred times over, and we understand that it doesn't mean if we, if we become a Christian, we're going to be rich and, and famous and all that. That's, again, not the point. The point is that will be blessed spiritually for what we do. But, along with that comes persecution. But, along with that comes what? Eternal life. So where should we be placing our, our focus and our, and our service on the things that are passing or on the things that are eternal? In Luke chapter 17, in verse 33, Jesus says, Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now this is in the context, of Jesus is talking about judgment, he's talking about him coming again. Um, he's talking, he talks about um, the days of Noah, when they were eating and drinking, and they didn't think anything was going to go wrong, and all of a sudden the world was flooded. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his wife, and they were living their lives. And then all of a sudden, fire and brimstone came down. 
And he's talking in the context and what he's, what he's getting at here is that those who are, are seeking to, to keep their life, to, keep, to hold on to their physical life, they're going to lose it if they're not focused on their spiritual life. But the one who ever loses his life, one who is willing to give up the physical for the spiritual, that's the kind of life that will be preserved. That's the preserving of the soul that we're talking about. Yes, we have physical bodies to protect. Yes, we are wired in such a way that we don't step too close to the edge of the cliff, do we? You get that feeling in your stomach? That's your body saying back up so you don't fall off the cliff. We, do, we have sense in our bodies not to step out in front of the speeding bus. We have sense to the, the preserving of our physical selves to keep us alive. We're wired that way. But we need to make sure that we rewire ourselves in the spiritual realm so that when we come to that ledge of sin, that we get that feeling in our stomach. So we move back from it. So we don't fall off that ledge into sin. Or we don't step out in front of that speeding bus of sin. That's a terrible analogy, isn't it? You get my point? We, we need to rewire ourselves so that we're not putting ourselves in, in our, our, our soul. We're not putting our, our spirit and our soul in jeopardy. Preserving of the soul is what we're talking about. We have the physical bodies to protect, but not to the exclusion of the soul. We need to rank those things as our Lord has for us. Having said all that, I want you to understand that there is a kind of fear that we do need to live in. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, the conclusion when all is heard is fear God and keep his commandments, for this applies to every person. So there is a proper kind of fear that we need to live in. Solomon writes it that way, fear God and keep his commandments. He goes on in the next verse to say, because we're all going to have to give an account for the things that we have done. Fear God and keep his commandments. So what, is it, what are we talking about when we're talking about fearing God? Well, our Lord says it this way, Matthew 10 and verse 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. He says, rather fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. That's the kind of fear that we need to live in. We need to live in the fear of an almighty God who has the power to destroy both the physical and the spiritual. Understanding this also, destroying the soul in hell, that's an everlasting destruction. It's an, it survives the life of our spirit, and we've already said our spirits are eternal. So when we talk about destruction, it's not a we're dead and gone and that's it. Torment lasts forever. The eternal destruction of our soul. That's the kind of fear that we need to live in. So when it comes down to what we decide to do, Peter says it this way when in chapter 4 and 5 when they're, they're imprisoned and, re and released. They go before them. They tell them to quit preaching the word of God. Quit preaching Christ. 
Peter tells them back in chapter 4, but if that's what you decide, fine, but we're not going to do that. If that's right in your eyes, fine. We're not going to stop preaching and teaching. And then again, when they're arrested in chapter 5, and they're told again to stop it, Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. So when it comes down to our service to God, we have to obey him. And for the reasons that we just specified there in Ecclesiastes and Matthew 10, we fear God because he's the one who can destroy the body and the soul. So when it comes down to what laws we have to follow and the things that we do, not discounting Romans 13 where it talks about following civil law and, and being obedient to that because those are put in place by God. And we should do that. But when it comes down to our faith and what we are, are, are told to do, we have to obey God rather than men. We have to make sure that we're looking out for our spirit, our soul, our everlasting, eternal soul. And whatever befalls our body is, as a result of that, so be it. As Peter says, if you're suffering as a Christian, you're okay. You're going to be fine. I'll leave you with this. Hebrews 12. In the context here of these verses that I'll, I'll read here in just a moment, the Hebrew writer, in, in, in spelling out things for his audience, contrasts the old law and the new law. He talks about how the old law was, was, was for its time, how it was instituted by God, how it was righteous in its institution, but eventually it was going to be replaced by the law of Christ, and the things that are under the law of Christ are better. More blessings, true forgiveness and, and, and remembering sins no more. All those things are under the law of Christ. In chapter 12, he talks about, he contrasts Zion with Sinai. And he talks about how Moses went up to, the, to receive the Ten Commandments and how the earth shook. And then he talks about how we're not approaching Sinai, we're approaching Zion. And Zion is symbolic of that ever, the, the everlasting um, throne of God. So we're not approaching Sinai, a, a physical thing. We're approaching Zion. And then in verse 25, he says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape uh, who turn away from him who warns from heaven. So he's saying that the people refused to listen to Moses. And look what happened. How much more should we be listening to the voice from heaven? Verse 26. And his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I will, not, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as the created things in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. You, you hear what's going on there? The earth shook there at Sinai. And he's saying these, God's going to shake the earth again. And all things that are created are going to fall down. And what's going to be left is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us show gratitude. 
by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See, God has shaken the earth again. And what is left is the kingdom of God. It's an enduring kingdom. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The things that were created, even all things are created by God, so he's going to destroy all those things. But what's going to be enduring is the kingdom of heaven. And what's enduring along with that are the souls of the saints. We live in a world that's being shaken right now in, in some respects. Lots of things that are going on that are upending and disrupting our way of life and the way of life we've enjoyed for so very long. I hope this lesson has helped us to understand that our souls will make it through all this. Our physical bodies might not. We might have trouble in this world, but let's focus on where our souls are headed. We live in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's, that ought to give us confidence and improve and, and strengthen our faith in knowing that if we're within the kingdom of God, it cannot be shaken. So as the, wall, the walls of the, of the city around us come tumbling down, we can be confident in where we're sitting, that we're in the kingdom of God, and it cannot be shaken. So let's put our faith there. Let's not shrink back to destruction. Let's not, after we've put our hand to the plow, look back. But let's keep moving forward, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We offer an invitation at the end of our time here together. I hope that we realize and, and see that God has told us that there are troubling times Always has been, always will be. Periods of peace in, 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 in the mix, but periods of turmoil there too. And what remains is the kingdom of God. Our Lord has set that kingdom up. He is reigning now. We are members of that kingdom in the spiritual sense. So let's be faithful and confident in that. Let's be faithful and confident in our citizenship in the kingdom. And let's keep moving forward and not be brought down by the things that are happening around us.